Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today I'm sitting down with an old friend, Nick Cummins, creative partner at the Indie Creative Agency in Australia, The Royals. Welcome, Nick. G'day, Darren. Good to see you, mate. Well, um, it's good to see you too. And uh, in fact, I've followed your career from when we first worked together. And we won't say how long ago that is because I think it ages both of us. But uh, you've had a really, for a creative person, you've had a really interesting career. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's a great industry that we work in. And I think it's always interesting and it's always different. Um, you know, you become a sort of a little bit of a micro expert on different clients and different in- industries, different pillars. Um, but then you get to work in different cultures and different different companies. So I think, I think most of us, you would you would probably most people I know in advertising have had interesting careers. You know, it's very unusual for someone to stay at a business for twenty years and just do the same thing. And I think that that's one of the things that I love about the industry and having. Been involved in starting a couple of agencies for me is something that when I'm sitting in the nursing home with a lovely single malt scotch that I'll look back on fondly as something that was quite interesting. Well, Nick, that's that's what I meant by interesting because for a creative person, you have backed yourself, what is it, twice now in being part of setting up your own agency. And, and the first was Sputnik yep. and now the Royals. So... And the reason I say that's backing yourself is that a lot of creative people will go through their whole career working for someone else, working for an agency, one of the big multinationals or whatever. But it must be quite going out on the tightrope to actually start your own agency. What was it like? Take me back to when you started Sputnik. Um, well, I, I often say that I started Sputnik by accident, um, and to be honest, um, it was because I I was sacked, um, and it was you know it was one of the first times I'd ever been sacked, and it's still a little bit of a mystery to me as to why that happened. But um, I went out and I started looking at places to to freelance and companies to freelance, and there wasn't really anywhere that I was in love with, and I think you know at, at that stage I'd been working for ten years and I'd done pretty well and. Um, and I found myself in a place where I was like, I wasn't passionate. You know, I was, I was still at that age where I probably would have gone and worked somewhere for free if I really loved what they were doing. Um, and I had a good friend called Tim Homewood and he introduced me to this thing called the internet. And I can remember thinking, oh, my God, look at this thing. You know, it's it's kind of a little bit ugly. It's kind of interesting. And it was either, you know, the internet was designed by either coders, so it looked really ugly or it was a designer who threw a, a DL brochure up onto the web and called it a website. And I was sort of looking at it and was really interested in it. And I think what drew me to it was that it was permanent. Like in advertising so often we do a 30-second spot or something back in those days and it's gone in a month. Like you might have done your best work and it, it, it sort of erodes. And I liked the idea of these things called websites could be up for forever and you would build them and you could add to them. And I'm a bit of a tinkerer and I like making things. So I started Sputnik with Tim and a few other people, and um, and then um, Rob Stock joined, you know, in in um, shortly after that, and we started sort of doing websites our own way. And I think you know we started educating clients about what what the web was and why you would do it. So really, that was that was accidental, but it was really really exciting. And I think you know I, I think I've done it twice because I love culture. I love people and growing a business and and feeling like you've got some sort of skin in the game, I suppose. 
And that might come from, you know, I grew up on a dairy farm and my father was always sort of um, solving problems or, or being entrepreneurial in his sort of own way. So maybe that was something that was in my, in my genes. But the reason I think it's quite a, uh, a leap is that often people will say creative people produce their best work when they feel secure. And running your own business, you'd have to say, you know, the, the stats out there that a large number of businesses fail in the first three years, you'd have to say that you're actually giving up security. You know, the security of the fortnightly or monthly paycheck, the security of someone else having to handle all of the business problems so that you can just focus on being a creative person and solving clients' problems by coming up with ideas. See, I think it's the opposite. I actually think that most creative people that you will meet are anxious and nervous and they that anxiety or that sort of uncertainty or will I come up with it or will it be good enough or all that, I think that actually fuels creativity. I think that a lot of, and I, and I know a lot of people in our industry, especially in the creative space, sort of suffer from anxiety and the nervousness and, and um, about the quality of their work and will it be received well. And I think that actually um, pushes and fuels them. So I think for me, in the early days of Sputnik, that anxiety of, of just survival um, was really, it really, you know, fueled what, what I was doing. I remember I used to have a dream about running across one of those Indiana Jones rope bridges, you know, the little slats of wood, and it was, it was above this huge ravine, and it was a dream that I kept having. And, and I was halfway across, and down where I'd just come from, um, the, the bridge was on fire, so it was burning. And I just had to keep running like hell to get to the other end. And that was my, I suppose, my visual analogy of like what the business was like. I was always running to try and get to that milestone, whether it be another, uh, another client or hiring a couple more people. And, and I think that that sort of propelled, propelled me creatively and it propelled me as a, as a, as a, a business owner. I then soon realised you get you do get to the other side, but there's a whole heap of other shit, you know, whether it be pig, pygmies with, you know, uh, poison yeah. darts or whatever it is, there will be another thing. But I think that, that propels that nervousness. I think that whenever I'm comfortable or relaxed or don't have a deadline or feel like I'm just doing something the same way over and over, I get lazy. I, I slow down. I don't. I don't actually produce good work. So you're subscribing to the necessity as the mother of invention that, you know, that the pressures, often the challenges, the insecurities are the things that drive you to look for more creative solutions. I think so, yes. And I I sort of wish it wasn't that way because it makes life sometimes quite stressful. But definitely, yes, I think it it is the, um, the thing that propels us often. Mm. It's an interesting metaphor that you use. You dream of running across the Indiana Jones uh, yeah, swing bridge or whatever they're called and, and it's on fire because I was talking to a marketer uh, in New York last year and he said, the day I got appointed to this role, very senior global marketer, he said it was like someone fired a bullet at me and I've started running from the bullet and as long as I unrun it, outrun it for as long as possible, I'll keep my job. Yeah. So he said... That's why the only people I want to talk to are people that can make me run faster. And it was a really interesting metaphor, again, of this sense of desperation. Yes. This sense of constantly being under pressure. Yes. And that if you take a moment just to get a breath, you're dead. And I think creative people are always trying to do better. I don't think 
you ever get to the point where the work is good enough. No one will ever say to you that their work is good enough and they've hit their sweet spot and they'll just keep doing that. It's not, it's, I think in some other industries, you might get really good at doing one thing and you keep making them or producing them and everybody comes to you for that. Every time we do a job, it's new, it's different. There's a different brief, there's a different strategy, you've got a different audience. So you start from scratch every time. And so I think there is that sort of, there is that uncertainty constantly. I remember I got a pay rise when I was quite young and I, and I remember it was $100,000. And I remember I went home and I burst into tears. Um, and I was... Why? Because you didn't think you'd be able to prove your value or... Totally. It yeah. was, I'd finally got to a point where I had to deliver. Like when you're a junior in advertising and, you know, you remember me back in those days, someone, you 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 would have a crack and you would go hard and you'd be really creative and you'd get it wrong most of the time and someone would sort of ruffle your hair and pat you on the back and go, good on you, you know, you gave it a crack. It's a bit shit, but you didn't do a very good job, but, you know, keep going. And it's a beautiful time when you're young and you're junior and, you know, and I talk to juniors a lot about make the most of it because whatever success you have when you're young, it's times three. You do get to a point like that time when I got that pay rise where you realise I have to deliver and I think that that's where that anxiety and I suppose that stress comes in and then I think that that actually does often fuel um, creativity or push you into different spaces because you have part of what we do in our industry is I believe is always it has to be fresh it always has to be new it has to cut through it has to be insightful we're not in an industry of just cookie cutter just do it the same there is a lot of work out there like that and I'm not saying all the work that I've done by any means is always fresh and different and exciting but that's what you're always striving for. And this idea that you're only as good as your last campaign or your last ad or your last idea, that must also uh, put that pressure constantly on people. It does. Yeah, it does. I think, you know, I often sort of think about the things that I've created in my career and you'll have a few campaigns or a few things that you've done that you sort of always carry around with you in the back of your mind. And I think you can use those as a confidence builder sometimes that you know that you did something that everybody else thought was great and applauded and it won awards and all those sorts of things. But every time you do step up to a brief, um, you are, you know, you're only as good as your last job. And and that's probably more pressure that you we put on ourselves um, than um, our clients. I think keeping clients happy is reasonably easy. It's keeping yourself feeling that you are pushing our industry forward or you are doing something that is different or interesting that will connect with people. Now, you mentioned the uh, awards word because, you know, it, it's one of those industries that has more award shows than I think there are even countries in the world. Yeah, you know, it's not like there's an award for each country. Uh, the last time I saw a counter, there were 700 different award shows listed on a website that you can possibly enter. What What's the role of awards? You know, you just said, you know, if, if people say, well, that's a big award-winning campaign, clearly you've done a good job, pat on your back, here's your pay rise, or someone poaches you to another agency. What is the role of awards from a creative perspective? It's, it's a really good question and it's quite loaded and a lot of people will obviously answer it in a very different way. Um, for me, I think the importance of awards are um, for people's ego and I think importantly for people um, to move through our industry. So I think that if you're a, a midweight creative or a young creative and you win an award, you are likely to um, have people looking at you and possibly poach you. So it plays a role of getting a different job and maybe getting a pay increase and, and moving through the industry. Um, I think that 
awards exist because we're in such an, a subjective space, you know, and it's the thing that is the biggest challenge in, in creativity is everybody's got an opinion. Everybody has the talking stick these days, um, you know, and we're, we're in a time where everybody should have a voice at the table and that's not great for creativity. And because of that, we need, we feel that we need something for people to go, yes, that's good work and that's not such great work. And the system's flawed, and I think we're starting to sort of realise that, um, that it's that the amount of times that, um, you know, I've entered awards and didn't really think I was going to win something and yet did win, you know, a Khan Award or something like that, and then there's times I thought it's a grand slam and I'll, and I'll enter it into everything and you get nothing. It is so subjective, um, and I think it's, it's becoming, um, I think it's becoming a problem for our industry, and I think it's, it means that people are taking their eye off the ball, in a sense. Yeah, because I've always uh, wanted to understand what, how things work. And I think, for me, the cynical point came when I realised how many awards were being run by private companies purely to make a profit for their shareholders. 100%. And not really about moving the industry forward because they have more categories than ever before so they encourage more entries and it's the entry fee that that where the money comes from they then get all the judges to largely do it for free you know they get their uh, uh, travel and accommodation but you know so it becomes this beautiful business model as a way of milking the industry of its hard-earned cash totally totally yeah they you have to say that it's, there's still a lot of creative people that are obsessed with awards. Oh, I'm really, really obsessed. And But that I'm finding that there's a lot more senior people who are um, walking away from them and rolling their eyes and actually pushing up against them because I think that they've been through that. And maybe that's from the luxury of they've had long enough careers and they've got a, their own personal brand is, is well respected that they don't need the rewards. I think that a lot of people are obsessed with rewards. And look, I love awards. I've got an ego. I love standing on stage and having people clap and, you know, and ringing my mum and going, look, I've got a piece of shiny metal. Um, but I think the people where it's mostly important for, it's they're probably individuals within businesses and that's their way up and that's their way out and that's the way to make more money. One of the things for me is like having a couple of my own businesses, that's where I got my satisfaction. I, I The satisfaction of it being a well-respected brand, a satisfaction of a great culture, happy clients and a few pieces of work that we look at and we know that are, you know, award-winning quality. I, Back in the days of Sputnik, I didn't really enter many awards because I went, I can either give three people a pay rise or I can enter a whole heap of stuff into Khan. And I sort of chose back then to, to give people pay rises. Um, and I thought that that was much more important and much more. It was 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 great for me because it made me feel good. But I do realise that perhaps some of those staff, it would have been great for them to to win awards and important for them to win awards because they're not always going to be within my business and they may need to move on to other other places and other shops. Now you recently wrote a terrific article in uh, Campaign Brief, which was about creative confidence. And especially in this time of, you know, the COVID pandemic, uh, we're seeing a lot of agencies laying off people. You know, there, there's estimates that globally 10 to 30,000 people are going to be lost from the industry. You know, this is a time of incredible uncertainty. What, what's your general belief about the impact that that could have on creativity? I think it can have a, a, a terrible impact on creativity. And I think that 
as human beings, we like certainty. You know, we need a, we want a light at the end of the tunnel. And I think that when we we feel like we've lost uncertainty and you know the world is crumbling around us, we we often go safe in all sorts of things, whether it's be not get a bigger mortgage or or not try to change jobs and and even down to our creative solutions, you know, go safe. But then when you look at it, now is the perfect time to be creative and to be coming up with different solutions. You know, I think that our industry has got some incredibly talented people, whether that be strategists or or creatives or thinkers or hackers or tinkerers, people who have just got that skill or have honed that skill to be able to look at a problem and solve it in a different way. And and because of COVID, I think that that the exciting thing is we're starting to see momentum and things happen in a sense because we're going, well, we've just got to get shit done, right? And I think that if you look at problems in different ways and you look at them as a, a in a creative way, and I'm not talking just about making ads, I'm talking about solving problems. And I think that agencies can help their clients do so much more than just do um, you know, a piece clever of thing, headlines. Clever headlines and a and a nice thirty second spot. So, I think you've got that you've got that 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 challenge that people are um, going into the into their shells. Um, they're not being brave. They're not being creative. But I think it's the time that we actually probably really do need it, and we have an industry that can actually help. Look, that it's an interesting thought because earlier on you said that you know creative people are already insecure, often insecure. You know that can be masked by having incredible egos and, and what will often look like overconfidence, but it's really masking an inner insecurity. The other part of this is that it's also the clients that are feeling insecure at the moment. So how can agencies, if you're going to be driving change, how can agencies take their clients on that journey? Because they're going to be resisting change because they want security. Yes, and I think that that's where, um, as an industry, we've evolved quite well to to go from not just like here's something pretty or clever or funny, um, do you like it? Cross your fingers to using data in a in a much um, better way. We we talk about at the Royals, we talk about undeniable creativity. The undeniable part is the data or the strategy or the insight and the research where you really spend time to really get to know a problem, get to know an audience, you find the solution within that intelligence and then you wrap it in creativity, which will get people to pay attention, it will build connections and help people resonate with that idea. So I think that, yes, clients will be nervous and are nervous and I think that it, as it's our job is to actually go, we still have to be creative, we've still got to be brave but we've got to back it up with that data and that intelligence and that strategy and that insight. And we all know those sorts of decks. When you look at a deck and someone says, hey, we looked at your, your problem and then we looked at your audience and then we found something really interesting or they're doing this or they're doing that and 72% of people say this or something like that. So we believe if we go blah, they're going to they're gonna do X. And then you can see the client go, oh, my God, that that's it. And then what we do is we talk about how we wrap it up in creativity and, you know, and that's subjective and it's interesting. But I think that's the way to do it. So what you're talking about there is really delivering those strategic insights and an insight that actually can lead to a tangible action. Yes. Not just an observation but an actual insight into customer behaviour or customer sentiment that can then create, you know, leads to the idea. Yes, and I think that that's where... Um, that's where what we do gets really, really exciting. And, you know, we've all seen those sorts of 
those sorts of insights or those sorts of briefs where you look at something and it resonates? You know, Well, it- rarely, Nick. I mean, that's one of the issues is that insights are such a rare commodity. Yes. And, in fact, often people are passing off, you know, a, a data aberration or, a you know, some sort of interesting fact as an insight. Mums are busy. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the point, isn't it? Yeah. I, I mean, do you think that also the industry has lost some... Uh, some influence over their clients. You know, we've seen over the last, uh, you know, 20 years, for instance, that the balance has gone from agencies and clients, let's say, best being partners to supplier and, and buyer. Yeah, I think we I think we have. I think we've lost a, a lot of our influence and a lot of our sway. And I think, you know, today we're talking about confidence. And I think it's because we've, as an industry, we've lost a bit of our confidence. Um, I think that we, we're second-guessing clients, we're watering down, often watering down solutions, um, and human nature can, can sense that. And I think that, um, you know, as an industry, we, 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 have lost our, we have lost our confidence and we have lost our swagger. And I think when you meet someone, and, you know, you mentioned ego before, and ego, I think creatives struggle with this a lot because if you're so... Um, sure about your idea or you have so much confidence, creative confidence, it can be seen as being um, ego. And ego can be such a, a dirty word. And, I, you know, I don't, I, you know, I've got a Sounds strong... Sounds like the title for a song. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you need it. You need creative confidence. And you look at other industries, whether it be architecture or whether it be art or any of those sorts of things, most of the people that are incredibly successful um, are dogged about their creative vision, you know, and it's theirs and they don't really care about what everybody else um, thinks. And we find ourselves now in an, in an era where everybody has an opinion on everything and that's the way that we run our world. And, and there's some really lovely stuff about that. Everybody should be able to have a voice. But with creativity, it often kills it. So I think well, that... Well, it's, it's the idea that uh, ideas by committee are no idea at all 100%. because it's constantly compromised 100%. rather than improved. And I've always had that battle in my career is like how, how much of my ego and how much shouting and stomping and going, no, this is what we've got to do, do I do? And how much do I go, well, I've got to listen to everybody in the room. I remember pitching an idea to a group of like 12 people in the boardroom to a client and they brought the work experience kid and I pitched the idea and we went round the room. The marketing director, of course, always asks everybody else what their opinion is and you've seen them getting very, very nervous because they don't know what their boss's opinion is and they basically um, have an opinion. We have we have a, a human trait to sort of err towards um, the negative in a sense. Safety. Yeah. Um, and, and I remember getting to the work experience kid and he said, it's a no from me. Um, he... he <laughs> He'd obviously been watching America's Got Talent the night before and Simon and been learning from Simon Cowell. And I can remember just sitting in that meeting and I think 14 people had an opinion on the work and what should be done and all that sort of stuff. And I just remember thinking, this is where we've got to. And I always struggle with that because part of me goes, yes, everybody should have an opinion. And part of me goes, there's no way we're ever going to do great work um, with 14 opinions. We actually call that the Dr. No syndrome where everyone in the room but one has the ability to say no, but only one has the ability to say yes. Yeah. And that's the problem is that, you know, there'll always be one person. And as you say, they're all sitting there trying to second guess the boss. Yes. uh, As to what they'll say. Yeah. But to say no means then they're not exposing themselves. Yes. Yeah. Except to perhaps being ultra conservative. Yeah. And not wanting to change anything. Yeah. 
Um, the creative process itself is actually a solitary one, isn't it? I mean, you know, we worked as a team. You've worked in teams. You've worked in... But it's actually a solitary process, isn't it? It is. I mean, you do really have to go into your own... You know, I often think about it as you throw your mind into... Um, freewheel you know you've you've just got to let it go wherever it wants to go and there'll be certain paths and and you can go down certain paths and you'll find yourself um coming across an idea i think and it's finding those raw rough ugly diamonds in a sense that are uncut and unpolished and to get to them it is very solitary i think what's exciting about our industry is when you've got that little aha and you go i don't know what it is yet but it smells like a great idea or it smells like there's something interesting or I don't think I've seen anything like this before. And that's when the collaboration is really exciting and, and really interesting because then people can help you cut that diamond or put different facets on it or, or twist it. But, but, but that the, must inc- uh, require a huge level of trust. You know, for you to be able to have that aha moment and know that you're, you know, that's an individual thing. You know, yes. even if you're working in a team, yes. one person has the aha and puts it out there. Yes. They have to trust that the other person's not going to go squash and splatter it. Yes. You know, that they're, they're willing to say, okay, well, let's have a look at this. Let's see what we can do with it. And that all comes down to who you share it with. And that's where I think the creative partnerships with two people who are creative. And, and I believe that we're all born with creativity. And in coming back to creative confidence, when you look at young kids, and I always remember looking at my my kids, the drawings that they did when they were three and four, they were amazing. I was jealous of them. They were so beautiful. They were so pure and creative because they had creative confidence. And then they became teenagers and they lost that, that, you know, that purity because they started worrying about what other people thought. And so I think to your question about is, is someone going to be squashing an idea, I think that's where you get great creative partnerships where someone else is brave enough to be able to look at it and go, there is something there. And what about this and what about that? It's when you get... Um, other people that haven't had the experience in coming up with ideas or creating ideas that just go, oh, I don't know, or what about this? Or, you know, my, one of my pet hates is or the, my watch outs are, you know, people go, oh, the watch out. And I'm like, you know, we, the idea hasn't even got there yet. And I think that, you know, um, I'm a big fan of IDEO as a company and they talk about, you know, ways to give feedback. And I think it's really, really important to give feedback as in a, a build or a what if question um, rather than um, finding the reason not to do something because so many great ideas die because someone um, brings that seed of doubt. And as soon as that seed of doubt comes in, creative people can sometimes get very wobbly um, and, and walk away. And I think too often things are killed by people who don't have the experience um, coming in early and, and um, doubting an idea before it's um, ready. Because mm. uh, De Bono talks about uh, Western rock philosophy or approach, and Eastern water. And Western rock comes from uh, the early Greek philosophers that basically said, you put the idea on the table and metaphorically everyone brings their rock into the room and and sees if they can smash it. And if it survives that, then it's a good idea. Whereas in the East, their attitude is that ideas are like water and the first person puts their drop and everyone comes and adds drops to turn it into a river. And, you know, we've seen the Grand Canyon's a good example of what can be created if you get a a river going long enough. It's interesting because there is, you mentioned before, collaboration and this idea that everyone participates. And we see a lot of times uh, workshops or what what are they called, you know, 
where they sprints. Uh, they get these sprints where everyone gets together in a room. It's not actually a creative process, is it? It's actually more about collecting a whole lot of perspectives. Yes. Because the creative process actually happens after that event. Yes. I think that that you've you've touched on a really great point. I think, uh, again, I'm a visual person and and I think when you get groups of different-minded people with creative skills or or certain skills to solve problems sitting around a table and they might be technology people, art directors, copywriters, strategists, um, designers, and you talk about the problem that you're trying to solve for the client or the sort of thing that you're trying to do. I'm a visual, I'm a visual person. I always imagined a, a large lump of clay in the middle of the table. And what we start to do is we start to beat it into shape. We don't know what it's going to look like as the finished product, but we start to go, is it going to be really low and long and thin and flat? Or is it really tall and high? Or is it sort of fat and round? And that's when you also start to go, it's something like this. You know, it's a great social campaign it's got a lot of emotion in it. It should have a lot of craft or you go, actually, it's loose and it's fast and it's got a street vibe to it and we should do 60 pieces instead of one. That's the big lump of clay. You don't know what the idea is yet or what the really beautiful part of it is yet. But if you all leave that room and then go into that personal space, when you come back, you're, you're, in, a, you're in a similar space because you all sort of had a similar vibe and then you can share ideas and you'll, you know, obviously the, the best ideas will float to the top. I think it's. I've been in situations a million times where people go, well, let's get in a room and solve it. it. It will never, ever, ever happen, I don't believe. But I think that you can get everybody on the same page and that has a huge effect and then you go away and then you come back. Because uh, James Webb Young, who was uh, a, a, an early sort of major influence in J. Walter Thompson, wrote a book called A Technique for Producing Ideas. Have you ever seen it? No, I haven't. Uh, It's a great little book because um, basically the process is understand the problem and spend lots and lots of time delving under the surface of the problem, not just what they think the problem is, but actually what are all all the issues. And then allow yourself lots of time to allow your subconscious to process that to get to the eureka, the aha moment. Yeah. And then the hard work begins, yeah. he says. But, you know, it needs a big, deep dive. And I think, you know, these things like um, the workshops are a good way of getting, collecting a whole lot of information quite efficiently and perspective. Yes. But then that time that it takes. Now, the reason I bring that up is working with Michael Farmer, he started looking at, creative agencies back in the 90s, 95. And he said the average creative person would produce two campaigns a year. Now what we're finding, and that was because the average client would produce about 100 pieces of work a year. Now what we're finding is that that's like five to 10,000 pieces of work because of social media and the likes. What impact has that had, do you think, on creativity? Well, I think time is, 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 is so important, you know, and we've lost so many stages. You know, there used to be a time for craft. We, we leap to solutions because of the internet and because of mock-ups, you know, and I'm going to sound very old now, but, we, you know, when you and I started in this industry, you would sit down and you would come up with some ideas and you'd do some really, really rough sort of scamps. You'd draw something up, right, and then you'd go to the client and you'd show them sort of your ideas. They'd probably pick one. And then you go back into your, your little office 
um, you know, with a heavily stocked bar because they were the good days in, in advertising and you didn't have your own fridge full of booze. And you'd start thinking about craft. So, okay, we've got our idea, we've drawn it, but is it going to be a photograph? Is it going to be a claymation? Am I going to get this typographer in? Am I going to, how, how do I craft this particular idea? And that took time and the work was really beautifully crafted and well thought through. We're moving so fast now and we're doing so many things that, and we're not going out and um, exploring. We're not, you know, gesticulating those ideas um, or percolating those ideas um, um, like we used to. I remember, you know, the great story about, I think it was David Abbott that went out, he was doing a car ad and, and it was a famous ad, I think, that where um, he was lying underneath the car that was suspended by this sort of, this mm-hmm. chain. Um, and he was like, I'm the copywriter and, and it was a striking sort of image. But it came from the fact that he went out to the factory and started talking to the guys building the car. And they were like, oh, we hate this car. And he was like, well, why, why do you hate the car? And, he's, and they were like, oh, it's got five times more rivets than the previous model. And he was like, why has it got more rivets? And they're like, oh, because they, they think it's going to make it stronger or it is stronger or whatever. And it was because he took the time to, to go out there to the factory and talk to the people on the factory floor that he found that that beautiful um, piece of information that he then Which you would never out. find in a creative brief, would you? No, well, you, no, you wouldn't find it in a creative brief and you probably wouldn't find it on the internet. And I think that we, we leap to solutions too often um, because we're moving so quickly and that's why so many ads look like so many ads. You know, the montage ad, there's some beautiful montage ads out there and, you know, some of them affect me greatly and there's a lot of just shit montage ads that's like, well, let's just get... 15 shots of happy Australians doing something and a, and a sort of a, a slightly poetic voiceover, you know, with some lovely piano underneath it and, and we go, there we go. And, you, you know, you've just described that uh, why do all COVID-19 ads look the same on, yes. on YouTube because they all look the same, you know. You've just described them. <clears throat> Beautiful, uh, calm, you know, peaceful shots, piano music, yes. you know. yeah. And, and so it's a formula. People revert to a formula when they're under pressure yes. rather than think of something new. Totally. And that's, that's to me, is what the conversation about creative confidence is all about. And it's, it's bloody hard and you don't get it right every time. And that's why so often, you know, so many ads look the same as A, because you mentioned time is, is really tight and there is a lack of confidence. And, and I think... Um, that's kind of, that's sad for our industry. You know, there used to be some crazy people in our industry and some really weird and interesting and different things when people were a little bit more like artists than, than ad men and women. And, and I think we've sort of in some, not in all cases, but in a lot of cases, we're sort of losing, losing that. The professionalism of creativity has actually made it less creative in totally. a way. And, and most creatives now are, um, you know, 20% strategist, 30% suit. You know, they know how to talk to a client. You know, when I started in this industry, you had account service people because creatives were so crazy and mad and weird that you couldn't put them in front of clients. Mm. Um, so you had this thing called, you know, account service. Um, and now most creatives, you know, myself in- included, have become a little bit more sort of a- account service. And I think that we... Well, you've had to learn to sell your own work. Yes. Because it's difficult to find someone to sell it for you. Yes. Yeah, totally. Going back to the creative confidence, you know, when I uh, moved from science into advertising, I did a thing called copy school. And one of the um, agencies we went to was the Campaign Palace, which is no longer... Incredible agency. 
But there was a writer there, John Turnbull, who passed away, but he he looked incredibly middle class. He was perfectly reasonable. But the man was so talented that he said whenever an account service person bought him client changes, he'd go, clearly the client is not happy with this concept. I'm going to do another one. Rather than make changes and compromise the idea, he would then completely come up with a new idea. Yeah. How's that for confidence? That's absolutely fantastic. And I think it's um, great advice and a great way to do things because there's always another idea. I don't mind clients not liking ideas. And, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, you get clients that articulate why the idea is not right and it's, it's, it's incredibly insightful and intelligent and you learn a lot. Um, but when you start to, to chip away or water down an idea, um, that's when it becomes, you know, ineffective for for everybody, and it is often better to go. Well, let's start again. Mm. Uh, Nick, I've just noticed the time. It's great to catch up. Thank you for making time and coming and having a chat on uh, managing marketing. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Darren. And uh, look, one last question before you go: uh, of all the campaigns and all the ideas you've seen, which is the one that you most regret? It's not yours. Thank you.